humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh, the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag Hashchat podcast. In this episode, I chat to Summer Howarth from EduChangeMakers about what they do as an organisation, about innovation in education and conferences. All right, so I'm joined in this episode uh, by Summer Howarth. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. It is. Um, it's. It, I've got to tell you, I, this is one of my favourite podcasts. I really like it. Oh, fan. well, thank you very much. It's always great to um, to uh, to speak to a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get started on um, on you know having a chat about uh, what Edu Changemakers is doing and and about um, some maybe some different ed conferences, um, a bit a bit of an introduction about yourself. Who are you? What's your role in education? So I've been playing in this um, education space my whole career. Um, I will always sort of tell everyone that I'm just a kid that really loves her job and got really curious about um, every angle of it. So since I I kicked off my teaching um, time in in the early 2000s, um, I've, I did a lot of my teaching in New South Wales. I was a humanities teacher, which is why I really enjoy um, your podcast and some of the guests and things that you talk about there um, and started off by really getting interested in professional associations. So as I was a kind of a young pup, really cut my teeth on uh, that kind of policy piece and advocacy piece through GTA New South Wales and still connected to a lot of legends um, over there. Um, You know, Susan's doing some great work still in New South Wales and also at a national scale Um, and was part of the crew who started Teach Meet as well. So at the very beginning of my career, I knew if I wanted to become a better teacher, I needed to find other clever teachers and they'd help me do my job better. So fast forward, I've worked uh, in schools overseas, um, doing some stuff in middle school advocacy and policy across the States, New Zealand. Um, I've done initial teacher education through Master of Teaching courses at Sydney Uni, um, teaching those. And I found myself in Melbourne working um, for Aitzel and I was looking at instances of professional learning, put on a big national showcase called the Learning Collective there within my first sort of six weeks or so and uh, was running the Learning Frontiers program. And all of that sort of led me to the work I'm doing with EC now was essentially find really clever teachers, help them to share a story and by design other teachers would get better at, at their job. It was what I had a hunch in from when I was a baby teacher um, right up into the work I'm doing now. So at EC uh, and my role in Director of Learning Design Community and Events, it's all about looking at unleashing innovation. We've got a clear methodology um, of doing that based in design thinking. Um, but for me, it's nothing better than bringing clever people into a room together, sharing stories sharing processes, and then really together building the kinds of education that we know then every young person can be successful in. Um, EduChange has been our kind of go at that for the past five or so years, and I've been involved in every EduChange event. We went from being kind of the most disruptive education conference to the most exciting to the fastest growing 
And this year we have a commitment to being the most inclusive and accessible education event um, on the calendar, whether that be in Australia or the world. So that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. I love, I love instances where um, clever, high-potential professionals come together and, and do great work. That's that's one um, that's one hell of a early teaching uh, <laughs> early teaching journey. Yeah, yeah. I was just really curious. You know, I was that kid that was always, but why is it like that? But who made that decision? And I thought, well, rather than sit back and ask, I would just go to those places. You know, I took a yeah. lot of risks in. Uh, I did a lot of sort of shadow writing for curriculum. Um, I wrote some content for uh, books that's been published because I wanted to know how does that happen? Um, My work in policy, I wanted to know how does it go from being in someone's head into being something that's mandated that I have to do? Um, I wanted to know. So I've kind of worked in every sector. Um, I've I've really worked at every level of our system. Um, Did a bit of mapping on that last year and thought, well, I guess I've been to pretty much most corners here. So in, in a nutshell, I know you've, you've spoken at length in the introduction there about what EduChange is. Um, mm. In a nutshell, someone who's never, ever heard of them before, 25 words or less, <laughs> what, who, what exactly do you actually do though? I know you, you, you spoke about it quite at length there, but in 25 words or less, what do you actually do at, you know, as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as an organisation? I guess we do a lot of um, capability training. Uh, So we spend most of our time in workshops with uh, people who are wanting to either change their school, change their system. So, for example, we might work alongside Department of Education in New South Wales and work with cohorts of new teachers in particular areas or work with emerging leaders, for example. So we take them on a journey from really identifying the changes that they want to make and walking with them as they go along a process and embed those changes in their school and hopefully change the DNA of the system as well. Fantastic. That's, that's, that's great. And how long, how, how long has EduChange been around for now? How long have you been doing this for? Uh, Dave Faulkner and Aaron Tate founded EC around six years ago. Um, we all actually met at the ACL Emerging Leaders event probably close to eight or nine years ago um, now in Sydney. So it was a few years later where Aaron was doing uh, a lot of his humanitarian work um, overseas and working with um, social entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, Dave was was working as a regional director in the Barclay region and they, they were both looking at what's the pipeline uh, towards future education leaders and quickly realised that they could come up with a process if they collaborated, um, shared their sort of smarts on that. Um, And that's when the first Changemaker cohorts came about. Um, We've now worked at a deep level with close to about 2,000 teachers and and at our whole programmatic level would be getting close to about 30,000 teachers um, over the past couple of years as we've grown. But, yeah, six years in total and things have diversified as, you know, Luca and Maddie and Nick and um, and myself, we've all got came on board with our different networks and ideas and skill sets. So it's a very different looking organisation to what it once was. But it seems to be going from strength to strength. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, how does someone become involved with um, with the organisation? So you, you you mentioned that you know you, you work with potential future leaders, etc. 
do do people that want to um, I guess grow professionally and personally approach you or or have you um, as an organization been known to sort of um, tap people on the shoulder and say hey we think you've got some potential here do you want to work with us or um, can we work with you on something it's a really great question we actually do most of our work through uh, a regional director or a school director would go ahead and tap people on the shoulder. Um, so in terms of an individual teacher coming to EC and saying, I want to jump on a program, it actually doesn't happen so much. And we're looking at different ways that we can make sure that if a teacher wants to work alongside us, that they can. Um, EduChange is a really great example of that. Um, getting involved in one of our masterclasses that we do around change making or change leading or change learning, which is really our go at sort of a PBL set there. That's the best way that an individual teacher would come to us. But apart from that, um, it would be going through a regional office if, if you're in that, that system or often a school will come to us as well and, um, and have a program embedded on site. So there's, they're the main ways that teachers come to work with us. Okay. Um, and so you mentioned um, innovation a little bit mm. earlier. So mm. what what are you doing in the innovation sphere? What what new approaches are you bringing to um, to the education system or policy or advocacy? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it's what we bring is uh, a process and a real how to and and some of the research from the best organisations across the world. So for example, Luca. Uh, at the moment is overseas and has just done some great work, uh, deep level work with the um, High Tech High Graduate School of Education and the the Stanford D School. Um, I was over there about a month doing some similar things in uh, PBL and design thinking with the crew from High Tech High in a bit of a different way. And there's lots of case studies that we look all over the world and we go and record those case studies and we will bring them into our curriculum. The innovations there is around showcasing it. Uh, We bring a lean startup methodology and a design thinking methodology. We brought that together in what we call the change maker journey. It's a 15-step process. Um, It's all written up in in Edupreneur, which is a book that that Aaron and Dave wrote. Um, But in terms of then that process, that unlocks the innovations So we always say we unleash teacher-led innovation and we're seeing everything from people um, really streamlining radical efficiencies in timetabling and operations, new ways to bring community and parents into the conversation to deepen engagement and attendance in school. And we're seeing changemakers even go off and start their own schools. So it's less about us saying, Here's, here's the innovation, now adopt it. It's saying here's a process we can step through by which to unleash the innovation that's already sitting within you. Great. Now, uh, in terms of um, in terms of the um, the, the workshops or the masterclasses you um, you spoke about, where people can get some more in depth um, in depth assistance or in depth um, coaching, if you'd call it coaching or or mentoring, or what would you really sort of classify it as? Yeah, I think there's there's sort of training, mentoring, coaching. Yeah. Um, all embedded in the one day. Yeah, absolutely. How, how many people are you working with here? Is it, you know, a, a, like a classroom size of about 30 people? Are you looking at small cohorts or how, how does it work? For our masterclasses, um, we tend to get anywhere between sort of 80 
a hundred people along to those masterclasses and, and they work either individually or if they bring teams along, um, that's more than fine as well. Um, but they'll go from a process. We often find people will come into a masterclass and say, I'm really curious, you know, I want to make change in my school or in my classroom or, or that more sort of broad system, I want to change the world kind of approach. Um, and we ask them like, what keeps them up at night? What do they find unacceptable and, and what bothers them? Um, for some, it might be it's unacceptable that my kids can't read. Kids in my class can't read. And we'll say, why don't you flip that around into something you can stand behind? And at the end of your career, you can look back and say, yep, I really, really um, turned a lever on that. So they might say, well, I believe in a school where every child can read and has a love of reading. And we say, great, now what are you going to do about it? And we spend the rest of the day then running them through different tools to deeply understand why that problem um, or, or challenge exists and then how do we go about coming up with multiple solutions and creating a little test so they don't walk away with the solution and, and cheers themselves there and say we've solved the problem. They actually walk away saying now I deeply understand why that's a problem and I have now 20 ideas to solve it and I've got one test that I'm going to conduct in a school the good thing is they do that alongside, you know, 80 to 100 other clever teachers, educators, business leaders, just like them. So they're able to tap into the ideas of other clever people to make the idea really robust before they leave the room. What's the, um, what's the obviously without um, mentioning too many specifics, but what's the, the most um, grand scale, the most sort of visionary idea someone's ever come across? You said that some people have gone and started their own schools, but is there one that sort of stuck in your mind and thought, this is world changing? Oh, you're, you're actually unleashing a can of worms there. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you about uh, something big that, that we are working alongside and then I'll give you a really great example. So to answer that, yes, and we're not the only people that are coming across those. Um, we've partnered with the Finnish nonprofit 100 uh, they spotlight 100 global innovations in education every year. And uh, we said to the team up at 100, we reckon that there's some great stuff happening in Australia. You could get 100 easily from Australia. Uh, and they asked us the same question. What are you seeing? You're traveling all over the country every day. What are you seeing? So we're st we've started small um, in the, the nature of getting things off the ground and we've got a spotlight on Victoria. So we just put it out to market and said, if you've got a good idea or you reckon you know someone who does, that's changing the game in education in the state of Victoria, let us know. And we had over 50 applications and we're going through them now because we want to spotlight the top 10. Um, there's some really interesting things that are happening there. And, uh, you know, one there's, there's a couple of really great success stories um, have a look at Maths Pathway. These guys have really shifted the needle on um, personalising mathematics instruction and uh, and learning for kids. They help position the teacher as the expert there um, and they have dramatically improved the learning outcomes of kids all across Australia, some jumping up seven like levels in mathematics um, over a one-year period, which is huge. Uh, we've got Callie in Queensland who found it unacceptable that there was high truancy in her school. She looked at all of the reasons why that might be the case, tested a few solutions, and uh, the Department of Education in Queensland have recently purchased her a site to start Bundaberg State High School Mark II. 
um, and that is successfully re-engaging otherwise disengaged students in not only schooling but the educative process. So there are some big success stories. Um, 100.org is a place where you want to go and have a look at what's happening um, all across the world and here in Australia. And we've also got ecideas.org. We profile really great work of our change makers um, from across the year. That's that's just hearing some of these ideas and you just sort of think these are things Mm -hmm. that are coming out of, you know, regular school teachers who are just, you know, just realise that, you know, something's not right and the only way you can change the system, and look, the system is far from perfect, um, hmm. You know, everyone's got their own ideas about the system, about um, whether it, uh, it works well or what can be changed. But for people to actually finally get backing, and not just actually, you know, it being a, you know a rant from a you know a lone nut on a blog page, you know that sometimes <laughs> you feel that's sometimes how it feels like. You know, for someone to finally actually say, "Hey, let's actually do something to change," it's great to hear because it kind of, um, in my eyes, it kind of. Um, reignites your um it reignites your um your passion for the job firstly um but also reignites um the the um the confidence you've got in the system and the policymakers to think hang on these people are actually listening to us as well they're not just sort of brushing us aside and saying no we know what's best they're actually listening to the teachers now absolutely and that's always been something for us um that that we think change will come from from where teaching and learning happens. Now, whether that be school or some other kind of manifestation of where where kids congregate and, and you know, adults teach them stuff, um, school is just sort of one facet. I've never subscribed to that idea that the system is broken. Um, there are excellent people that work as part of the system, policymakers, advocates, researchers, evaluators. All of them need the innovators to say, well, you know, what's next? What what should we be putting into policy next? Or what's the next iteration of the teaching standards, et cetera? Um, it, it's actually all about what happens when the practitioner takes the policy, understands it, if there are roadblocks that are, you know, embedded in policy or the system, it's up to them to say, if we were able to innovate around that roadblock or can we advocate strongly enough for that roadblock to be removed? Um, but I've never seen or experienced any any one person or really any system that exists to solely roadblock the people in which it serves. Um, that might be naive, that might be, you know, too, too idealistic, um, but I think that good things happen when teachers also believe that the system is um, is there in in part to serve them and that there's a conversation that says, you know, the system needs the practitioners, the practitioners need the system um, and both can, can work well. Evaluators need the innovators, innovators need the evaluators and so it's cyclical. Yeah, I think, I think the issue more is the, um, you know, I think you just can't please everyone at the same time. Yeah. Some people will always be unhappy with one little change but everyone else will be happy with it so there's never going to be a and by what I meant by there's, it's not a perfect system in terms of it's it's never going to be everyone's ideal of what it's going to be. Hold on I think you, yeah. you're so right there it's never going to please everyone and the more that we try to do that it just becomes diluted. I think yeah. you've um, you've hit on something really interesting there Marco around change 
Um, I do work outside of education as well up in, um, you know, policy and corporate and they're a little bit more flexible to, to change and I spent some time trying to understand this. The, the concept of change really says what you're doing now isn't right. That's kind of the translation simply. When we take it into an education system or a school system, we read that with a more loaded lens and say what we're doing now isn't the right way to do things. So we're doing it, it wrong by kids and people go, oh, no, 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 I am not doing the wrong thing by kids. I'll hold on to that status quo because change is is really loaded and um, really kind of um, tough. Like it's really tough. We spend our days doing the very best that we can for the kids that are in front of us and, and kids that are yet to come or kids that have been through our, our classrooms um, and kids that we'll never meet. So we need to really delicately handle this concept of change and just say when we know better we do better um, and that we are really looking at not testing uh, things out on our kids but actually giving small snapshots of what it might look like if we did things differently would it be more effective for us as humans so the human-centered design element not just the change for the sake of doing new exciting things has to be at the forefront yeah, well, there's got to be some authentic reason behind the change. And you're right in terms of um, no one likes to feel that they're not doing a good job. So if that's the angle that you're going to take with change, people are going to resist it. And as, as a business studies teacher, um, um, we look at overcoming resistance to change and why change is needed. And and you do come across these psychological factors or, or um, th- these, these, um, these feelings of people just don't want change because they're scared of what they don't know the fear of the unknown or the um or the fact that it's something that they've always done before and they always get the you know they always get the same results and they're happy with those results so they don't see the need for change yeah Yeah, absolutely there's definitely something um in that as well like i really like the status quo there i i work um with the behavioral insights unit up uh in in victoria they do amazing things. I know there's one in New South Wales. Um, the, this behavioural insights is a really interesting rabbit hole. We won't go down it today, but the, but the main conversation is around can we not prove that something is better, not prove an innovation is better, but can we disprove the effectiveness of the status quo? And that's been a recent conversation where I thought, oh, that's, that's bending my mind right there because if you disprove the effectiveness of the status quo, it opens you up to doing things differently 57 other ways rather than just saying we're going to prove that this way works and therefore we'll replace it. Um, That's just an interesting thing to ponder on. Hopefully people who are listening here aren't necessarily driving cars because I would have to pull over with them (laughs) to digest that thought (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. I like that idea of looking at let's look at why um, or, you know, let's have a look at what's – not currently working with the status quo as opposed to, I guess, ramming down people's throats the ideas of what they should be doing instead because, again, that, right. that, that makes people so much more resistant to change and sort of looking at, well, all these amazing things that, that I could be doing but I'm currently doing something here and I'm still getting the same sort of results or I'm still getting the same feeling out of it, so why bother changing? Absolutely. And there are some things in the, and I, you know, rabbit ear this here, like the status quo, that are actually really good. And they are legacy pieces that 
we shouldn't change just for the sake of it. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, is there a need for school? Well, is there a need for clever humans to regularly hang out? Yeah, there's probably always going to be a need for that. So that purpose of school seems pretty great. Um, should it be nine to three? Uh, well, a teacher's life we know is like, what, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day? Um, well, you could probably look at that. Um, but it's it's not just throwing the baby out with mm. the bathwater. I was actually going to ask um, if it's not to um, if, if it's not going to be too much of a um, of an issue for you. But you, you've you know, let's say you've just opened up your own school. You've been mm. given free reign to do whatever you want. What does mm. your ideal school look like? My ideal school. Yeah, you've been given full free range. Um, you know, within legal requirements, obviously, you know, for, um, for reporting and, um, you know, that sort of stuff, um, you've been given free range, you've been given a site to build your own school and they said, you can run it how you want. What does your ideal school look like? Well, I think, um, the same old term that everyone says, but it's incredibly, um, flexible. So there's high respect. It's negotiated with, with all of the different people. Let me, let me, diffuse that and say let me give you an idea of two people that I reckon have opened schools that are pretty ace um, that I wouldn't probably stick too far from from their model so music industry college in Brisbane opened by the legendary Brett Wood um, and his wife Roz who is she is just an absolute gun in making sure that that school runs and and Brett is is such a visionary so he's he's created a college where students who were probably a little bit um, disenfranchised by their possibilities, kids who loved, you know, music, arts, and and that's where Brett, his passion is from as well. So he's leading a school from his place and passion, but it truly apprentices them into the music industry. So business studies that you and I both both taught, Marco. Um, he delivers that through a lens of what it means to be part of the music business. So they are also, this is really fun, the only school that we can find anywhere in the world that is also a registered nightclub. And uh, that's because they've got this, this big um, event space and they the kids run uh, their own gigs. like And that's a business. That's end-to-end business. It's not just getting up on stage and playing. Um, they run, you know, their own sort of pitch nights, they, they record all of that sort of thing. And the reason that they're a a registered nightclub is so that they can't get, um, easily shut down. So if kids are running, you know, loud gigs, the police can't just come and say, oh, the noise is too loud. So they've, they've looked at things from a really clever way to say, how can we get around all of those statutory requirements to make sure that kids can run really solid music-based businesses here. Um, He's had kids say to him, I survived because of this school and this place. There were students who were so lost, not knowing, teenagers lost, not knowing where to go. Music industry college really saved their life. So, I mean, it'd be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find a school that was doing things in that sort of way, um, you know, better in, in my opinion. The other is um, called Think Global School. They're a really interesting model because they're not locked into physical space. This is a school um, that operates over four terms, like any of our schools, but they spend a term in a different country and they have sort of six-week breaks in between. So they're essentially a, a travelling boarding school. 
Um, that also sounds pretty ace, particularly from a staff perspective for me. They, they, they sound like two really great examples. They're actually sort of, I'm assuming I'm going to take a stab here and assume you've read Ken Robinson's um, book, Creative Schools. Yep. That sounds like something that jumps right out of those pages in terms of fostering creativity for students because learning isn't just a static activity for everyone. Some people need to have, um, like, for example, that running that nightclub, a much more authentic, applicable way of, of, uh, of learning as opposed to just sitting at a desk. Oh, absolutely. And I think tied to creativity is just human spirit and being alive. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like it is about making and everybody can make in every subject in every way, but it's mm-hmm. around the agency that you have as a learner. It's around the decision-making power that you have. Um, creativity is really key. And these are, these are founders of schools that just took a risk. They sort of said, this can be done better and I'm going to do something about it. And they've led it from a place of passion. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Look up those two schools. They're, they're really ace. Yeah, I'll be definitely um, be doing a, a bit more research on um, on those two. Thank you very much. Mm, no worries. Um, let's change, uh, let's change um, direction here. And I, I know you mentioned the uh, Geography Teachers Association a little while ago, um, which um, – which is one of my favourite uh, professional associations, is because I'm, I'm I'm a member of it and I contribute as much as I can to it. Because in my mind, um, teachers aren't islands. Um, we should be, um, you know, collaborating. We should be um, uh, working together for the end result, which is students. Really, um, right. So let's have a chat about uh, about edgy conferences in terms of you know the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, you know <laughs> what what. What is what? What makes a good edgy conference in your mind? In my mind, it needs to be focused on um, the learning. It needs to be a celebration as well as a provocation. Um, and the the genius of the participants needs to be not only acknowledged but also unleashed. Um, I think too often the things that have sucked about education conferences for me in the past have been I turn up and actually no one really cares if I'm there or not. Um, I usually get some kind of issue with my name tag wrong. Like I know these are little things, but they they don't set you off on a right field to say, right, so the most important people hold microphones and I'm just there to take it in. Um, that That for me is probably the bad and the ugly. Um, and the good is when you know what it's like when you sort of say, yeah, I, I think the keynotes were great. I'm not really sure, but I met all of these really cool people in the breaks and, you know, we've decided that we're going to go with it with this idea. So that sort of in between um, networking and the kind of magic that I've, I've learnt in my past 10 years or so in producing education-based events, you can design that quite deliberately um, and I've, I've tried and failed and tried and won quite a few times but the magic in those um, connections and really connecting into the vibe of something is is incredibly important. Yeah and, and you mentioned Teach Meets a while ago as well and they're probably my one of my favourite um, types of, of I guess you can still call them a conference or a, or a forum um, uh, but they're one of my favourite types of professional development. I've presented at a number of, of teach meets. I've organised a few teach meets myself as well. I just find that they're so useful in 
getting rid of all the um, all the unnecessary um, bells and whistles that don't actually add anything to, as you said, the the um, the connection between educators. Um, you said you were you were one of the first um, uh, with a group of other with a, a group of other teachers to um, really kick off the TeachMate movement. Um, mm. why, why did that come about? I, I spoke to um, I spoke to Matt Esterman in an earlier episode um, who spoke about TeachMates as well. Um, but what, why, why the need to come about? You know, I think that we were actually. It probably came about it being a bit disillusioned in saying, "I don't want to go to conferences where." people get on the stage and tell me that education is broken and that, you know, we need to start speaking to the children. And like, I thought that, that bothers me because I actually don't think it's completely broken. And if you saw my classroom, you'd know it's not. Um, and, and I'm never going to see this keynote again kind of thing. So I, I know that it was definitely about that sort of teacher led sharing of practice um, and I remember the first sort of afternoon where I think one that might have been held prior with um, Matt and Henrietta and those legends. But when we really kind of got this kickoff, we were saying like there were rules of play that that it was seven minutes to share or two minutes if you had something that was sort of app-based and that it was a really safe space for teachers to just dig in, dive into their practice and build lasting connections and friendships through proximity that's a really great thing that I think teach meets have you know you'll often be going along and it's kind of like walking into cheers the bar you know people know who you are they know the vibe like you're going to know a couple of stories there and it's it's a really uh, great thing I know that I can walk into any teach meet in the country and the same sort of rules apply. I know that it's a seven minute. I know that it's a sharing practice. I know that it's a kind of don't flog your wares kind of thing. And I think the best thing to know that that we did a good thing in really hustling in those early stages to get structure around it, to there was a lot of conversations around where does it sit and who owns it and um and it was always agreed like no one owns it. The profession owns it. Um, Here's the open source on it. Here's the support networks around it. Um, and all of us have sort of stepped in different directions. But I had a, a student who has gone into the teaching profession and she said to me about a year ago, next time you're in Sydney, let me know. There's this thing and it's really cool. Like it's so up your alley. Um, it's called a teach meet and I really want to introduce you to it. And I, I did a little sort of, you know, fist pump in the air because I thought, look, you you pass the baton on and and that's that's really really cool to know that teach me in Australia and you know I know it came from um from my good mate Ewan McIntosh as well but this as a model of learning changed the way we we conference it changed the way teachers come together and talk about practice um, and I hope to embed that in every instance of professional learning that I design from now on in, or from then on in. I know I do now. Yeah, and look, I've been to a number of conferences over the um, over the seven or eight years I've been teaching, and and again, you, you find a bit of a sour taste in your mouth sometimes when you go to the ones where you spend quite a large sum of money for, mm. and you're right, and you get you know mm. the name badge is spelled incorrectly, or um, you know you walk in and the keynote speakers, you think, well, I'm never gonna you know, see this person again in my life. They're talking about something that's not 
related to my context at all or or the context of the mm. state or of, of you know of the country even um and you think mm. okay well that's all that's that's great that you've made this keynote speech but what exactly what exactly is it for and what exactly does it mean um whereas some other conferences i've been to um for example the geography teachers association one um i went to uh, that was great you know you because i, I interact with them um, a lot more through Twitter, which is which is my you know my professional learning tool of choice. I guess you'd you'd look at it that way. Um, Twitter, mm. in a way, is its own little conference. Um, you yeah. know, and having a chat to people at Geography Teachers Association, walking out of some of those um, out of those sessions with my mind blown about some great things that people are doing in their classroom, and you think they're doing this. It came out of their own head, and they're doing these great activities with their students. This is amazing. And you feel so much mm. more empowered once you go to those sorts of conferences. And, you know, it's a lot more, it might be a lot more low-key. It might not be all glitzy and, you know, and, and glamorous. But in my mind, it just works so much better. Yeah, I think you can you can have both. I reckon it can be a both end and it's still something that, that you know, we're working on. But, but you're so right. So there's there's big keynotes and they, they're great. Thought leadership is really important. Um, Ted provides, you know, a really awesome platform for them. What can be really hard for something like EduChange is we will always profile the anonymous extraordinary. So these are people getting on with the job every day and quite often they've never even taken a stage before. We work with them in being a speaker, a powerful speaker. But always every participant after is like, where did you find that person? That's amazing. And they often get their kind of run from there. Like Peter Hutton's a really great example of that. Um, uh, Ashanti Branch, who we had last year, um, some of the speakers that we have this year, Alice Zuleski, um, is amazing. She was in MasterChef. She was a, a middle school teacher. But um, in terms of sort of the education stage, um, EduChange will be the first one that, that she takes. And her concept around um, project-based learning through the lens of food is really, really exciting. Now, I know they're really exciting. I get to hang out with them as event producer, um, but often it can be really hard to then get, well, not not hard, but I mean new people kind of in the room to say, well, where's your Ken Robinson or, or you know, where's your, where's your big name? And and the, the true fact of it is we, we can't afford the investment in getting those big names. I'm far more interested in reinvesting that into um, the experience of um, the event in really developing up um, really great new voices in the Australian market as well. And I think it can be a both and. Like, I'd love it. I'd love nothing more than for Sir Ken to say, I want to come and have a look at what this edgy change stage is all about and to say like actually the rock stars are the people in the audience. Every single one of our um, speakers ends with a provocation. So they'll end with like, if you were me, what would you do next? Um, they they end with a, a call to action from the crowd, almost like um, a pitch. So, yeah, things are done differently when you've, you're more invested. And you can say, look, I know that the people that have designed this event and the people on stage recognise my genius as well. That's the important thing. Exactly. You're not just, uh, you're not just someone filling a seat or someone... Um Someone who's just there to um to boost their own numbers, really. And I like um I like yeah. what you said before. I like that uh, that phrase, the anonymous extraordinary. Mm. That's a great um yeah. The, it's a cool phrase, isn't it? It's it's really saying like I can give you thousands of of great stories, and people go, oh, I've never heard of it. 
I've never heard of that person. Say, well, that's kind of how they like it. Um, They're just sort of getting on with the job. Um, And my job is to provide really fun, engaging, um, safe and, and big stages and platforms for those anonymous extraordinaries to stand on and say, this is what I do and this is why it's important and this is how I want you to help me get better outcomes for kids, which is why I run EduChange in all of these different you know, exciting locations like Royal Exhibition Building or um, Deacon Edge at Federation Square this year. We've run it at NAB. It's it's j- truly to say this is a beautiful space, this is a beautiful event because we privilege your story and everybody who's coming in is such a, a leader in their field as well. You know, they're people that want to make change, they're people that are making change, they're people that truly love the profession, the, the teaching profession, the best profession in the world. And and I think you'll find that that generally teachers don't toot their own horn or they don't like the, you know, don't yeah. like all the all the attention because for them it's just, well, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing what, you know, that's my moral imperative. It's to help kids. It's to do this. Like they're not actively doing stuff for the sake of, you know, I want to be famous so I can get out of a classroom rather, you know, rather than mm-hmm. I just want to make it work. Absolutely. And I, I've had many chats with, uh, you know, mate Eddie Wu about this. He's, um, we know that at, at the moment he's sort of out and about and we chatted last year about him coming down to, to EduChange in 2017. And, you know, he, he was like, got to prioritize my kids, both my family and, and the kids that I teach. And, and we just kept talking around. I said to him, that's exactly where you need to be, mate. And, uh, and he asked if, if it was, you know, on, um, back on the table this year, which of of course it is. The magic of Eddie is to share the story widely means that he's then able to to bring about a whole other conversation of uh, what we do, the teaching and the learning that we do every single day. And he will say, like, I'm I'm just a a maths teacher that, that loves to talk about the thing that I love. So we need to, as a profession as well, and I really believe this, we need to be so supportive of those people that do want to stand up and say, this is what I do in my classroom. This is what we do in our faculty. This is what we do in our school. Um, I want to tell you about it because A, we're really proud of it. Um, B, we're hoping to get even more impact. And, you know, C, we want to see where this could grow. There, There is an undercurrent of if people are getting up out of the classroom to share their story and maybe other opportunities for them will open up you know, at a system level or, or speaking with other organisations, whatever, we should be rallying around that. Anyone that is giving voice to our profession, they absolutely have my vote and have my stage. So we need to get better at supporting that. Well, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you've seen an article that's come out about seven reasons why um, why teachers want to leave the profession. And um, yeah. one of them was um, teacher bashing, you know, the poor um poor public image so if we can get more people to positively you know showcase our profession all the amazing thing that's happened then why why is that not a good thing then oh yeah I couldn't I can't agree with you more on that I see so often or I'll ask certain teachers to come and uh, if they want to be part of EduChange or you know a particular event and they're a bit like oh no, because I don't kind of want to cop it when I go back into my staff room and I think, oh, come on, we can do better at that collegially, like much better yeah. at that. So not only is there the, the external perception of 
uh, you know, their teachers and that's what they do. And we get good voices saying, actually, this is the cool stuff I do. So people then go, well, I'm really jealous I'm not a teacher outside. But also internally as well to say, hey, if someone's got an opportunity to speak at a conference, like we need to make clear the way and make their life um, easier to do that because all they're doing is serving the great work of our kids and and of our profession as well. We really need to get better at that. Well, you, you know you can always uh, always rely on me there, Summer, as well. <laughs> love um, it. But before we, before we wrap up, let's go back to your teaching years as a Hass teacher as well, as a Hizzy teacher. Yeah. Let's have a chat about yeah. your time in the, in the Hizzy classroom. So what subjects did you teach other than business studies? Geography and uh, commerce. And when I was over in the States, I dabbled in some maths as well. But I've got to tell you, geography, heart, soul, guts, loved oh, it. Summer, thank you I very, very much. It's great to hear that. As a, as a, as a business studies, <laughs> geography and commerce teacher, from one to another, thank you yeah. very much. Oh, look, you just, we, we're a good little crew, aren't we? Yeah, well, and, and I, you know, I don't mind history. I don't mind, um, you know, um, all the other subjects in, in the hizzy field as well, you know, history, um, legal studies, that sort of stuff as well. But I'm, my heart is always going to be in in the business and geography world. Yeah. So when yeah. You were, what, what kind of stuff were you doing in your classroom? You know, you're, you're working really well with innovation and change now, but what were some of the, um, some, some of the, um, the, the, the highlights of your time in the Hizzy classroom? Um, what were some things that worked really well? Oh, what were some activities so that many. you think back now, even years later and think, you know what, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, we did the, we worked with um, some stuff through the UN. Um, uh, oh, it'll, it'll come to me which, which particular department. Um, but it was on this Love Not Loss campaign um, and it was, it was really cool. So we were able to work with sustainable development goals and, and some of the marketing and, and campaigning through um, rebranding biodiversity and we brought it into a local context. So our year sevens were looking at rather than telling stories of kind of loss and destruction and um, catastrophes in the environment, it was how do we fall in love with with nature and the place we live at a really local context and then scale it up. So the premise is like photos of, of polar bears standing on shrunken icebergs might tug at the heartstrings, but is it actually going to go to the core of behaviour change? Probably not. If we see the lorikeets wandering around the playground that have eaten our lunch and they're so fat they can't fly anymore and they die, then possibly that's going to leverage some behaviour change. So we we did a bit of an audit around looking at what are the potential aspects of behaviour change and then let's create love stories around those. Um, that was pretty great. Um, another one in senior geography, we were working on coastal ecosystems and we worked with the Surf Rider Foundation right when like, um, you know, Wikipedia and Google Docs was kind of coming to a fore. Um, and we, we worked coll- collaboratively across Google Docs as a senior geography cohort. And we looked at all of the concepts that were embedded in Wikipedia and the Surf Rider Foundation has Surferpedia as well. Um, and we actually then updated all of those pages that related to what it was that we were learning and discovering through field trip, through um, research and investigation, 
through talking with experts, all sorts of things, which was um, pretty awesome. So we we did a complete audit of all of those pages, collaborated through Google Docs as a team, invited the parents in to watch in live time um, those Google Docs being created. And, uh, and it was a real skill in, in collaboration and bringing good knowledge all together as well. Once all of that was was completed, we then update those wiki pages. And then the third one in in middle school, which was really great, I wanted to get experts in the classroom. And I quickly realized that I have super clever friends, as we all do. So I didn't really go too far out of Facebook to find a sort of collection of, of really clever and engaging friends working in interesting things. And we did some uh, thinking routines around it based out of um, Harvard's Visible um, thinking routines. Uh, so one that comes to mind, we did a think pair share, uh, a friend of mine, Tom, he works with endangered birds through the UK. Uh, he was holding a Pellegrine falcon egg in his hand and we spent about 10 minutes interrogating, why is this person holding this egg? Like, is it an egg? You know, we went through, what is it? See, think, wonder. Um, and then at the end of that, we were able to get Tom onto a Skype and he would talk about how he got that job, why it mattered, what, where that photo was taken in the context of that. Um, and, and so our, my students were then becoming sort of curious around geography-based vocations was one, so geography futures, and, and also tying into um, all sorts of curriculum aspects there. But that was sort of our Friday afternoons. That sounds amazing. They, they sound like amazing lessons, really, really um, authentic in terms of making it a bit more real world applicable for the kids as well, which is something that um, not just in easy, but a lot of subjects really struggle to do. And that's when you get that disengagement. And that's when you start to wonder, hmm, what's not working? Absolutely. And look, this was a time when it's quite funny when I'm like, oh, back in my day. Um, but this was a time where we we didn't probably have the same protocols around project-based learning that we do now. We didn't really have same processes around um, inquiry. And, and we were really breaking the barriers there around asking kids big questions of what's the point? Prove that this matters, that you learn it. And we shattered the, the timetable around year eight and we were looking at, you know, some really different um, ways of asking some big questions. And I think, you know, now down the track, my gosh, it would have so many more tight parameters around it. There'd, there'd be things that were a lot more deliberate by design, but they were ways of bringing the subject that I loved very much to life and not learning it for the sake of, because I reckon it's a good idea, um, but finding themselves in it as well. And when you start to hear kids say, I remember one, I call her a kid, she's, she's probably off, you know, a CEO of a company now somewhere, but she, she said, I, before considering things in this way, I was really naive to the plight of others. And I remember that soundbite so clearly because I think, there you go. That's why we teach deliberately and by design. Um, and when you've got a 14 year old saying, I used to think now I think, and I was naive to the plight of others, really we're, we're saying there, and, I, and I'm not going to be anymore. It'll be unacceptable if I go through my life thinking that I am. Um, yeah. Job done. You know, I, kind I, think of thing. that, I think that's almost yeah. kind of, that can, that can almost be the, the tagline for for the humanities and the social sciences. You know, I used to think this, now I think that. I was naive to the plight of others, mm. but now I'm not anymore. That can almost be the slogan for uh, what the humanities and social sciences aims to do and stands for. 
Oh, definitely. I, I was working alongside um, Maddie, um, brilliant, brilliant um, STEM practitioner in our team here. We were working with Department of Education in Victoria yesterday around intercultural capability in the curriculum and the Victorian Curriculum Assessment Authority and some really interesting and exciting things coming out at a at a curriculum and, a, and an explicit teaching level and also then looking at the internationalisation of school and schooling and our system. Some in-depth stuff but but looking at, for me, looking through the lens of, um, you know, that humanities social science teacher, I thought it's just so great that these things are now being written deliberately into what every kid has to learn at school. Um, I can back that. That's pretty great. Um, so, Summer, before we start to wrap up um, and and um, say goodbye and thank you, um, any, any final words you want to leave our listeners to to inspire them um, for their future in education? Oh, just follow those curiosities and I guess there's a few. One is if, if you want to make change, um, you're the person to do it, name it, own it, change it. Um, the best decision that you can make for yourself as a professional is to speak with with other professionals, find people who are doing a great job and and find out why um, and have great conversations and share your stories with them. The biggest thing, which I know I'm telling an audience that already knows this, Marco, but it's a great privilege to spend your day in in the life and, and company of young people um, and to be part of their community and to be part of their growth. If that privilege doesn't weigh heavily on you, um, you know, re- reconsider that. And although I, I say often I miss the happy noise of a school in a classroom and I get to hang out in schools um, for a lot of my days as well, but that is a great privilege. Um, and with that, because, you know, comes great responsibility. And for that, then there's a greater eco- ecosystem that can support you. And uh, and I just really hope that that EduChange and EduSum on Twitter and uh, all of the team here at EC can play a role in um really helping to assist teachers to know that what they often see as a burden of responsibility is actually a great weight of privilege of the great job. So if we can help them to do their job better, that's exactly the role that I hope um, that I can play within our great profession. That was fantastic. So well said. Thank you very, very much, Summer. An absolute privilege. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. I'm just really... Um, Really chuffed to be here having a, a chat well, with you. Well, thank you very much I for giving it. up your, uh, your valuable time um, to have a chat for the podcast. I'd love to get you back um, on a future episode um, to, to have another chat because oh. this, was, um, this was amazing. Thank you. An absolute privilege of mine and, and thank you for putting this into the world. The, the world needs your hearts and, and your smarts. So I'd love to come back and have a chat and I hope that um, everyone has an awesome day in teaching learning, living, whatever they're doing. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. aeon.net.au